Let's go on to Dr. Lowenthal's case. This is a 64-year-old woman who, in 1987, had a left lumpectomy at another hospital for a 1.4 centimeter, moderately differentiated, infiltrating ductal carcinoma, ERPR positive, zero out of 10 nodes, who at that time was treated with radiation only. I just want to make a historical comment. I thought it was interesting. She was diagnosed in 87, and it was 1988 when the NCI clinical alert came out showing that tamoxifen and chemotherapy worked and no negative. So she sort of, sort of slipped through the window there. But she did well till December of 2002 when she presented with a left pleural effusion, left pleural thickening. A subsequent VATS procedure with the stripping and pleurodesis revealed adenocarcinoma similar to her 1987 diagnosis. Here, two studies were done, and they were negative. Staging PET-CT at that time revealed her pleural disease, as well as thoracic and lumbar, spine disease, and bilateral rib disease, all of which was asymptomatic. She was started on Femara and Zometa. She had an excellent response, which persisted some three and a half years until June of 2006. Her past medical history was interesting because in 1989, she had an aortic valve replacement, so she'd been on long-term Coumadin all this time. In the mid-1980s, she had a horrific motor vehicle accident, which left her with a chronic disability, just from a performance standpoint and healing multiple fractures standpoint. And at the time that you decided she was no longer responding to Femara and wanted to switch therapy, can you talk a little bit more about what her status was at that point? I was good now. I mean, she was quite functional. This was really a relatively asymptomatic progression. And where exactly did she have disease at that point? She still had disease limited to the pleura and bones. She had a VATS? A VATS. Right. Anything you want to say about what happened and how that procedure went? We've pretty much switched over for the most part to VATS. The two thoracic surgeons that operate at our institution are both trained in VATS. And for malignant diffusions, they feel the patients do better. It's a better debulking, a better pleurodesis. And in general, it's an overnight stay for the patients. And you avoid, I think, at least in our experience, this repetitive tapping and attempt at pleurodesis and subsequent fibrosis, lung trapping. Not that that can't happen with a VATS. But for patients whose systemic disease is relatively limited and they are pleural-based presentations, we've pretty much gone over to a VATS procedure. Edith, what's your experience with VATS and when do you use it? The same approach we have taken at the clinic now for a few years because we think it's a better palliation for our patients. It's pretty much standard at our place, actually, for patients with pleural effusions. Nancy, how would you be thinking through her decision at this point? She's had a great response to an aromatase inhibitor, but now she's progressing relatively asymptomatic. So, of course, I'm still very keen to continue using hormone therapy in her, and I'm thinking about several different alternatives, and none of them sounds perfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably why you brought her here. So that the first thing I was thinking about is I'd like to move her over into the serum field, and the easiest thing to do would be to use tamoxifen, but then you tell me she's on Coumadin and she has this valve, and I get sort of upset about that. So then I thought a little bit about whether or not you might want to use fulvestrant, and she's got Coumadin, you have to give this injection, you know, that's mm-hmm. not perfect either. Right. <laughs> so then the other thing which I think about and which might be more supported than I might have thought before is whether or not to move her to another aromatase inhibitor, to move her over to exemestane. I was pretty interested in this study at San Antonio, which suggested that in people who'd had a non-steroidal aromatase inhibitor, that there wasn't a whole lot of difference in effect between fulvestrant or exemestane as the next hormone therapy. So that's a possibility. And then the investigator had in me, wants you to 
remember that there's this really interesting information that's emerging right now that maybe these women who have been long-term estrogen-deprived should actually paradoxically be treated now with estrogen, mm. low doses of estrogen, that that may trigger apoptotic pathways. And there are some clinical trials that are ongoing and that are going to be starting that are going to be looking at this approach. I guess in her working it through, I might think about exomestane, given all the pros and cons of what you and I just talked about. Dr. Burkhart, what about the issue of continuing an aromatase inhibitor in this situation and then adding in the fulvestrant, the combination of an AI and fulvestrant? There are a couple of trials, one in the U.S. and at least one in Europe looking at that. What are your thoughts about that strategy, both on a trial and off a trial? Well, you know, as one of the principal investigators of the EFFECT trial, that is this trial. Nancy just described. Exactly. I think I was a little disappointed about the results, because indeed, there is no difference whatsoever between these two agents. So coming back to this particular patient, I think I would also then choose exemestane. It's an easy drug, it's oral. Now, the approach of continuing the AI and then adding Fazlodex has a very good rationale indeed. But again, we have to wait for the results of this trial. And unfortunately, These are trials that have not been planned, I think, very carefully. So there are very few institutions collaborating. The trial is taking very long to complete, and we will not have results before one or two years, I think. One of the things about the EFFECT trial is they use a loading dose of fulvestrin. And when Bill Gratishar presented this, he showed the pharmacokinetic data showing that the blood level got up quickly. Can you comment on that, Dr. Picard? From what I've seen about this drug, I think it's probably the most logical way to give it. But again, you know, there are not very strong data supporting that. Edith? The loading dose was used following the lack of superiority of fulvestrin versus tamoxifen as published in JCO. So the idea was it was not proven to be better than tamoxifen because there was not a high enough level quickly. So this was tested with the loading dose. And I am glad the EFFECT trial used the loading dose because now I believe that we should not be using the loading dose because we don't have any data to justify it. Certainly not in practice and even in clinical trials, although that's another issue. Nancy, what about the loading dose in clinical practice? Do you use it? I had been using it. I'd have to say that it's been largely a pragmatic issue, Neil, that I see she's 64, right? So she's not covered by Medicare. Correct. Because certainly my experience with Medicare is you really have to be quite by the book with regard to fulvestrin. Sometimes other insurers are a little bit more flexible. I don't know that I would feel the need to do it now, given, again, we've now seen a trial that used it in an optimal fashion and didn't show a particular benefit that I can appreciate. Is fulvestrin an option in a patient who's anticoagulated? Well, my nurses have done it. (laughs) You have to hold it a good long time. (laughs) Have you had experience with it? Yeah, we actually check the PTs right there in the office. We get them back in about half a second Mm -hmm. by a finger stick. And if they're therapeutic or low therapeutic, we go ahead. And you don't get bleeding, some hematomas? Even with a good IM injection, we have not. That was my main concern. That was my concern. Yeah, they're going to get a big hematoma. So what happened with this patient? Needless to say, I had all the thoughts that everyone here had. I even thought of going back to tamoxifen, going to aromacin, even thought of Faristan, which is a drug that almost... Does anybody use that drug? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a drug looking for a place yeah. to be used. But needless to say, because she was on the Zometa every four weeks, what I opted to do was put her on Faslodex just to sort of keep everything at a four-week interval and tolerated it well. Her markers plateaued. We did a PET-CT six months later, which was December of this year, and she had significant improvement. No new sites of disease, all of her previous sites showing a diminution in her SUV, and she's doing quite well at the present time. 
But I thought all of those were options. There were any number of options we could have pursued. Edith? From the public health standpoint, now that we have the data from the EFFECT trial, it's going to be hard to justify $1,600 per month versus $300 for the cost of fulvestrin versus examestane. Although, obviously, it remains an option, and I'm glad your patient did well. That's really, at the end of the day, the most important finding here. Probably the corollary of that is then tamoxifen would be the best of all because it's really cheap. Although, at some point, we may get yeah. to all of these drugs. Correct. You know, yes. so... Correct. You know, she's had long progression-free intervals, been quite yeah. hormonally sensitive, so I anticipate sequencing any number of hormones before yeah, we... Yeah, I think you're going to use a lot of them. ...need yeah. to make a change. Is there a standard or a semi-standard way that you sequence the hormones? Meaning, if you have an old person who's postmenopausal and they're ER positive, strongly ER positive, can you start with tamoxifen first, then aromatex, or would you start it the other way around? Is there any preferential way that you do in your practice? Edith? I haven't seen any solid data of the efficacy of tamoxifen after any of the aromatase inhibitors. There's very little information in the, one of the original letrozole studies, but I haven't seen anything definite. Have you? We think it will work, but we don't have the data. Nancy, what's your usual sequence in postmenopausal patients of hormones? Most of them, of course, will have gotten in the adjuvant setting. So when they have metastatic disease, it's going to be guided in part by what they've already been exposed to. But a lot of times, if it were like a de novo presentation mm-hmm. in postmenopausal mm-hmm. patients, I probably would start with aromatase inhibitors these days. I would move over to tamoxifen. I might go back to another aromatase inhibitor and then go to fulvestrant later. I still use occasionally in these people that really go along progestins. Mm-hmm. I haven't myself had a lot of experience with estrogen, but I'm compelled by some of these studies that are looking at using estrogen after successful aromatase inhibition. And I wonder if we are going to go back there again. But you're right that the sequencing is going to be key here, and you might be able to play around with this for a number of years, given her disease-free interval, which was so long.